Okay, we're going to look at our scripture as we continue our series, Close Encounters with the Christ. And we are looking at Matthew 14, 22 through 33. This is Jesus walking on the water. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The Word of the Lord. Well, I've used this illustration before, so please forgive me uh, if I use it again and I'll explain why. It's the story of a captain of a ship who looked out into a dark night and saw a faint light in the distance. Without hesitation, the captain told his signalman to send a message, adjust your course 10 degrees south. Instantly, a return message came back, adjust your course 10 degrees north. The captain was angry. His command had been ignored, so he sent a second message. Adjust your course 10 degrees south. I am a captain. Soon after the message was received, adjust your course 10 degrees north. I am a seaman, third class Jones. Immediately, the captain sent a third message, knowing the fear it would arouse. Adjust your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. And then the reply came, adjust your course 10 degrees north, I am a lighthouse. The battleship promptly adjusted their course. Now why do I give this illustration? I give this illustration because it, it gives us an axiom of truth that whatever you believe will determine how you respond. Again, what you believe determines how you will respond. Once the battleship understood the reality and believed what the, second, uh, the third class seaman was saying, it responded by altering its course. This principle is true in real life, and it's certainly true in the spiritual world, that what you believe about Jesus determines how you will respond to Jesus. If you believe that Jesus has power to speak into your life, to speak into your circumstances, to do something about them, you will respond in a certain way to him. If you believe that he has relevance to your world and what's going on in your life, you will respond in a certain way. The truth of the matter is that we have a vision of Jesus that is far too small. And the result is we live in fear. Because we have feeble expectations of Jesus' power, feeble trust in His abilities, feeble obedience to His commands. In this story, we see that the disciples had a defective belief 
an understanding of who Jesus was. And so the result was anxiety and fear in their lives. But this passage serves to show us that Jesus is far more powerful and magnificent and gracious than we could ever imagine. And as the disciples realized and believed and understood who Jesus was really, wa really was, their conduct was changed. And they moved from fear to faith and from faith to worship. The saying is true, and it's the point of this uh, sermon that I'm preaching, that when we truly recognize who Jesus is, we will respond in faith and in worship. So we're going to walk through two points in this sermon. Number one, we have to recognize who Jesus truly is. That's right, two points, my friend, two points. Number one, recognize who Jesus is. And finally, number two, respond in faith and worship. So let's go with point number one, recognizing who Jesus is. We see Jesus gives a command to his disciples in verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Now Jesus has just fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. In fact, it's just 5,000 men besides women and children. So it could be upwards of 10,000 people Jesus has just fed with a sack lunch. And it says that he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. This word made actually could be translated compelled or even forced them into the boat. Why did Jesus do this after this miracle? We know through a parallel account of this story of the feeding of 5,000 in John 16 that the people were so enraptured with Jesus that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. See, they had a vision of a political Jesus. They thought that Jesus had come and they wanted to use him to overthrow the Romans. They wanted him to be the new political power on the block. And so they were literally going to force him to become king. And my guess is that the disciples, as we look at their conduct before, were very on board with this. And Jesus is removing them from the crowd. So they're not infected by this type of thinking because he wants to teach them something else. He wants to teach them who he really is. Jesus is going to show the disciples who he is. And so after he had dismissed the crowds and forced the disciples to go away in a boat to the other side, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Now, why did Jesus do this? Well, I think one reason he did this is he needed time to pass. He needed the disciples to get out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee because he was going to do something in their lives. And the second thing was Jesus was always doing this. He was always going away by himself to have intimate time with his father because he and his father were one. And after miracles and after uh, every single thing that Jesus was doing was in concert with the, the consult with his father. And so Jesus has gone up to pray, and it's evening, and we see in verse 24, but the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. This wind was against them. The literal translation is, for the wind was tormenting them. The hand of God, if you will, is against them. They, who are seasoned seamen, cannot get across the Sea of Galilee, even though it's only about four to five miles wide. 
we see that this is the fourth watch of the night and so it's probably around somewhere between 3 to 6 a.m. So the disciples have been rowing for nine hours to try to get across the Sea of Galilee. But the hand of God is against them. They're probably only about three miles offshore. See, Jesus wants them to be in the storm when he comes. Because it's in the storm where we learn who Jesus really is. In fact, I don't think we can really know who Jesus is without knowing him in the storm. And so, on the fourth watch of the night, verse 25, he came to them walking on the sea. Jesus is walking on the ocean. No one has ever done that before, and no one has ever done that since, because it's impossible. It's impossible to do this. The density of the human body com compared to the cohesion of water means that this is impossible. You've tried it. You've tried walking across in a, in a pool of water and you make it maybe a step or two and you immediately begin to sink. But Jesus is no ordinary human, is he? Though he's fully human, as human as you and I, he's also the Son of God. Now keep in mind, this isn't a calm, placid sea that Jesus is walking across. This is a sea that for nine hours has been pushing against the disciples. These are large waves. This is a storm. This is a tempest, if you will. I've been to the Sea of Galilee. I've seen what can happen when the water gets turned up. But Jesus comes walking because Jesus is in command of the wind and the waves. Jesus, fully human, is also fully God. And he is the creator of the universe. Indeed, the scriptures say that he not only created the universe, but he sustains it by his powerful word. Jesus is the, in the one in control of every single molecule of water in that Sea of Galilee. And so he does things that only God can do. Indeed, it's Job 9.8 that says that God, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea, what must, have that, what must that have been like to look out, out of the, uh, the prow of the boat and to see Jesus walking in this tempest as calm as calm can be coming to them? Well, I'll tell you exactly what it must have been like by looking at verse 26. For it says, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. They were absolutely terrified. When was the last time you were terrified, by the way? Remember that feeling of abject terror? That's how the disciples are feeling, because they're seeing this that cannot be explained. The only way they can explain it is, it's a ghost. The Greek word is pantasmo, where we get the word phantasm. Now, why did they not recognize Jesus? Why did they think it was a ghost? Because this is a supernatural act. No ordinary human can do this. But Jesus is no ordinary human. You know, Jesus coming to the disciples should bring an end to the fear that they have. But it does the exact opposite, doesn't it? It doesn't bring peace. It brings terror. Why is that? It's because their expectations are too low for the person of Jesus. 
They don't recognize him. And so his coming brings terror rather than peace. Well, it's easy to look down on the disciples, but how would we have responded if we were in the boat? I mean, probably the answer is, well, that we want to give is, well, we know this story. We've heard it a million times. We've seen it on the flannel graph, right? Jesus walking on water, of course he can do that. But let's take that and let's extrapolate it to our day-to-day -day affairs. Because the truth of the matter is, we believe all too often that Jesus is not in control of the day-to-day -day affairs of the world. Everything that's going on right now, this COVID crisis, this presidential mess, Jesus isn't in control of that, over that. Jesus can't do anything about that. That's beyond the control of any ordinary human. But the scriptures are quite clear that all authority in heaven on earth has been given to Christ. We can easily lack faith and believe that he's not in control of the circumstances of our life. The challenges that we experience with our job the difficulties that we have in relationships, the crisis we have with our health, the challenges we have with our kids. We don't believe that Jesus has the power to walk on the water of these circumstances. And so what is our natural response? We fear when things are out of control. How much anxiety and fear do you have in your life? How much peace and contentment do you have in your life? I wager that a significant portion of that is tied to our understanding and belief in the person of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he can do. So when Jesus comes, do we react with fear or peace? Well, Jesus responds to their terror. They say it's a ghost and they're terrified. But immediately, verse 27, Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Take heart can just as easily be translated, Take courage. And it is I, literally in the Greek, is I am. So what Jesus is saying is, Take courage, I am. Jesus is saying that I am God. I am Yahweh. I am the one who is the one. They would know and understand exactly what he was saying. He's saying you don't need to fear. You don't need to worry because I am that I am. I am God. Isaiah 46.8 puts it this way. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. So Jesus says, Take heart, I am. And what Jesus really is saying is, Take heart, not only I am, but I am for you. See, there's something when God is for you. He's saying you need not be afraid because I, the ultimate power, am for you. Notice how he immediately spoke to them saying, take heart, I am. He didn't want them to have fear. He wanted them to take courage. 
And the reason they could take courage is because the God of the universe had come into their midst. They simply did not have an understanding of who Jesus was. It's very interesting, this COVID crisis that we have that's caused trillion dollars, trillions of dollars in damage, that's really literally brought this planet to its knees, is about the size of 80 nanometers. A COVID molecule is a fraction of a fraction of the size of a human hair. It's killed over 2 million people. You know, if we could play the tape back and examine, does anyone think that this, this molecule is going to be able to do this to the human planet a year and a half ago, what would people have said? <clears throat> Absolutely not. We underestimated the destructive power of something because it looked so small to us. But we underestimate the power and the person of Jesus Christ, His positive power. What's your image of Him? We chide the disciples for having an incorrect image of Him, but what's your image of Him? Is He a political leader who has come to bring peace and prosperity to the United States of America and we want to put him in charge by force if necessary? Or maybe he's an advisor. He can't control, he can only advise. No, he wants us to know that he is in charge of everything and over everything, even evil things. Because it's only when we know who he truly is that we can have peace. And it's the storm where we see him clearly. Jesus created this storm and entered into it to show them that he was Lord over the storm. So what's your storm? Maybe it's not COVID, but maybe it's your health, for instance. You're constantly having health issues. You're constantly having health problems. You can't seem to get healthy. The doctors don't know what the reason is. And you're left with this sinking suspicion that something is wrong. We need a Jesus who's big enough to look to, to handle our problems that we can turn to. And so my counsel to you is to look for him. He's in the storm. He's not going to leave you alone. So whatever the storm is that you're experiencing in your life, he is in charge of it. Indeed, he's probably the author of it because he wants to expand your faith. You see, your storm is a chance for divine encounter. So believe. Believe who he says he is. That I am the way. I'm the truth and I'm the life. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. I am the light of life. And whoever walks by me will never walk in darkness. Recognize who he is. That brings me to my second point. That if we do recognize who he is, that we must respond. We will respond in faith and in worship. First, in faith. We see how Peter responds. And Peter answered him, verse 28, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, why would Peter ask this? Why would he say that? 
Well, I think he knows that by asking if he can come near, that Jesus would respond in the affirmative. Because Jesus is always granting the request to come near to him. And Peter is a disciple of Jesus. Jesus has come to them walking on the water, and so Peter wants to respond by walking on the water back to Jesus. And so Jesus has come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Peter responds in faith. What must it have felt like to step out of that boat onto that roiling sea and to experience firmness in the water as he put all of his weight upon it? Was Peter freaked out? The answer is no. Because Peter's eyes were on the Lord. See, we have an object of our faith. You hear people that use faith like a trite phrase. You know, you just got to have faith and it's all going to work out. Have faith in what? Peter has an object of his faith. And we do as well. Because Jesus is real. He's alive. He's personal. That's why the scriptures, Hebrews 12.2, counsels us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Now, why does this work? How is it even possible that Peter, a mere man, is able to walk on water? The answer is simple. Once Jesus, the Son of God, has given the command, walking on water is simply a matter of trusting God. Jesus has the ability to make the impossible possible. And whatever God commands, God provides. It's the same way for us. Jesus may not be calling us to walk on water, but there are many commands that he has given us in his word. And what God commands, God provides. When Jesus says to us to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, he provides us with the means to do so. When Jesus calls us to love our neighbor as ourself, he gives us the means to do so. Can we obey? Can we do this? And the answer is yes, but only by faith in Jesus. Just like Peter fixed his eyes on the Lord, so we must do so as well as the branch in the vine. Because God is calling us, just like Peter, to live impossible lives by his power. But we all know what happens and happened in this story. Verse 30, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. You know, there's something when you are at eye level with the waves. Having a, being a sailor, having a small sailboat, and being sort of surface level, when you see those waves rolling, they can be terrifying. And he's eye level with the waves, and it says when he saw the wind. Now, you can't see wind, but I think when he saw the effect of the wind on these waves, it says he began to sink. Why did he begin to sink? The answer is he doubted. The word, the Greek word is distazo, which means to go in two different directions at one time or to serve two different masters at the same time. Peter, as soon as he took his eyes off the Lord and onto the wind and the waves, 
began to be pulled in two different ways. And ultimately, Peter's trust in the power of Christ gave way to his dread of the wind and the waves. We've experienced this ourselves, haven't we? How many times has this happened? We know that God says to not be anxious about anything. And we keep our eyes, fix our eyes on Him, but then we look at the news and the economy is tanking. COVID is growing. Our business is floundering. Circumstances get big and Jesus gets small. And our focus shifts and we begin to sink. And there's Jesus' words. And there's Jesus' presence. Take courage. I am. You know, we can look down upon Peter, but Peter knew who to turn to in his time of trouble. He reached out. He called out to the Lord, Lord, save me. And what was Jesus' response? I mean, Jesus could have let him sink, right? He failed. He had the opportunity to walk on water. No, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. Why did Jesus not let him sink, even though he failed? Because Jesus is gracious, and failure is an event, not a person. Failure is an event, not a person. See, Jesus has justified Peter, and he's justified us, if you are a follower of Christ by His blood shed on the cross. He has made us a success in His eyes. He's made us the beloved children of the Father. And so Peter may have failed in this circumstance here, but Peter is not a failure. And we too are righteous in Jesus Christ. And so we are not failures either. We are successes in Him, dearly beloved in Him. And the truth of the matter is this, that we will fail often, again and again. And he reaches out every time and grabs us. The truth of the matter is we learn by failing. And Peter would not have walked on the water if he had not taken a chance and responded in faith. We too can respond in faith, recognizing who Jesus Christ is, because He will not let us sink. He will reach out to us. He will watch over us. We have to fix our eyes on that which doesn't change. I said earlier, I, I uh, have started uh, sailing. I bought this little 14-foot sailboat that I can trailer behind my truck, and I can take it and I can launch it from the beach. And there's something interesting when you, when you go sailing because everything around you is moving. All of the water, all of the current, the wind, everything is moving except one thing, and that's the land. The land isn't moving. And so when you are navigating, you must fix your eyes on that which doesn't move. Because if you fix it on that which is moving, your course will be skewed. You will go off course. And so you fix your eyes on that which does not change. See, we're called to live impossible lives. Lives that cannot be explained 
by our own humanness. We need a power that's beyond us. A power to love God with all of our heart. A power to love each other at the church. A power to love the person who is unlovable in our workplace, in our neighborhood, at the gym. We're called to live fearless of circumstances. But what God commands, God provides. The secret is, who are we going to look at? Either at our circumstances or at the Lord. For He is the great I Am. He's already showed us how to live this life by living a perfect life of faith when He walked this earth, even going to death, trusting in His Father. And so we can trust Him. For He says, I am, and I am for you. When the wind blows, when all is falling around us, we can fix our eyes on Jesus. We can respond in faith. And when we do fail, we can call to Him, Oh Lord, save me. And He will. And He'll give us the courage to try again. When we truly recognize who Jesus is, we will respond in faith. Finally, we will respond in worship. Verse 32, And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Now, why did the wind cease right then and there? I think the answer is simple. The lesson is over. Jesus wanted to reveal to the disciples who he was, and he did. And there was no need anymore for the storm. So Jesus just stopped it. And notice the response of the people in verse 33. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. They worshipped him. And they didn't worship him because of what he could do for them. They didn't even worship him because he could walk on water. They worshipped him because of who he is. God in the flesh. The Son of God. What a picture of these 12 men down on their knees in the boat giving glory to Jesus Christ. When Jesus reveals who he is, there can only be one response in the end, and that's worship. I thank you. I thank uh, the Westminster Divines for that great catechism that asked the question, what is the chief end of man? The answer is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. See, we were made for worship. It's our ultimate design, our ultimate programming, the highest order of who we are. And what unlocks worship is recognizing the person of Jesus. For when we truly recognize who Jesus is, we will respond in worship. What you need more than anything in your life right now is to worship Him. So worship Him. Sincerely. Frequently. You don't need to be on a boat in the Sea of Galilee in order to do so. You can do it as we worship Him in song and are going to do it in a little bit. In the quietness of your own home. Shutting the door and acknowledging and recognizing who He is, the Son of God. Worshipping Him sincerely, frequently, 
and gladly. For when you see Him, when you truly see Him, you will be changed forever. Are you a Christian? Have you seen Jesus for who He truly is? I'd invite you to pray to God this wonderful prayer. If you are God, show me yourself that I might truly see and worship. Christian, remember who this is that we worship. He's the one who walked on water. He's the one who calms the storm. He's the one who stills the grave. And he's the one who's the authority over all things. We have a great high calling and privilege to worship the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Because when we truly recognize who Jesus is, we will respond in worship. Let your life be filled with worshiping the God of God and the Lord of Lords. For that is why you were made and that is why you were redeemed. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this history that shows us that you are in control over the elements. You are in control over all circumstances. And what you desire more than anything is for us to fulfill the greatest longing in our heart, which is to see you and to worship you. Lord, let us be a worshiping people. Not because you can walk on water, not because of all the things you can do, but simply because of who you are. Satisfy us in the morning with your great love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.